This is the Impossible Things Podcast. Here are three average guys discussing the impossible. Jesse Human, Jimmy Donahue, and your host, Kyle Cole. Welcome back to the Impossible Things Podcast. This is episode two of season three. Season in quotes, of course. Yep. It's, we define our seasons somewhat oddly. Well... I think that's the way things are done nowadays, right? You just call any grouping of anything a season and doesn't yeah. have to. We can call our groupings anything we want. That's they don't true. have to be seasons. No, we can call seasons it. works on. Yeah, whatever. It's it's familiar. Call it a gaggle or a, <laughs> a murder. Anyway, a murder. Yeah, it's it's our, this is our third murder of uh, <laughs> of episodes. Episode hmm. two of the third murder. I wonder if that can be misconstrued uh, in any way. <laughs> I'm sure that won't flag any warnings for anybody. Yeah. Um, Reminder to to all the listeners, just me and Jesse here for right now. Uh, Jimmy's on on a work assignment in China for the the foreseeable future. Yep. But uh, that's, we miss you, Jimmy. Jimmy, come back to us. Hope you're listening. Don't uh, don't become a communist while you're out there. Uh, also, don't get arrested. What's wrong with that? What? Well, uh, uh, don't uh, don't lose your heart, Jimmy. Um, Enjoy China. If yeah. he were arrested, how do you think? What do you think he would do to get himself arrested? Knowing Jimmy. And knowing that he's probably going to listen to this if the Chinese government hasn't blocked us. What would Jimmy do to get arrested? Let's see. In China. In China. Well, I love Jimmy. I know him to drink quite a bit. Uh, I was, uh, I was I, on I a similar think, trajectory. Yeah, he, he's, not, he's, not, he's not totally the one to make dumb decisions while, while intoxicated. So that's, I don't know if that would be the cause, but that might be the catalyst. Mm. Are they more strict with uh, drunken Pub- public? Public, no. They're probably less strict, I would think. Okay, it's more common there. Let's see, what would he do? What would Jimmy do? He uh, Wait, well, when his friend visits from uh, from California oh, to go and work, uh, some some revelry might happen, and it'll. Hmm. But he's there with with people that he he likes to associate with already. That's true. That's true. I I certainly won't be the only one to cause this problem. Yeah. I'd say Larson is a much more <laughs> incendiary <laughs> friend. <laughs> Hmm, Aaron, if you're out there, don't get Jimmy arrested. <laughs> also, don't get yourself arrested. Oh, yes, we worry about you as well. Don't don't get yourself arrested. That's That would be just as bad. I say Jimmy would be speeding excessively in his motor vehicle if he has one. Now, I'm not one to call attention to stereotypes here, but do you really think Jimmy's going to be the worst driver in the land of uh, China? <laughs> That's hurtful. <laughs> That's uh, it's certainly unfair. Please don't write me hate mail. I was only joking. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna write me hate mail, please include every negative stereotype about uh, short, fat, white guys. <laughs> At least you're not bald. Well, there's I could add that to the list. I just give it a couple of years. Mm. Uh, or if I lose a bet, I'm sure probably a bet with Jimmy while in China. No, oh. while intoxicated. No. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Uh, oddly. Incorrigibility. You don't say. Should we define incorrigibility, or do you think our well-informed and educated listeners already know what that means, probably better than we do? I would venture a guess that the the context everybody hears it in is uh, an intelligent person who's well-versed with the uh, the English language saying, you're incorrigible. Yeah. That's, that's probably the most anybody's heard about it. So for the sake of keeping everybody on the same page, why don't you go ahead and define what we're talking about? Well... Yeah, when someone says, you're incorrigible, I'm sure someone says, you keep using that word. I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> anyway, incorrigible. Okay. Um, Define, please. This isn't, isn't going to be the dex- dictionary definition or anything, but uh, the way I think of it is someone who can't be 
reformed or conformed to societal norms, uh, who has, so we say, behavioral issues, behavioral discrepancies sure. with others, with with most people. That makes enough sense. Yeah, I think that's a good good definable topic. So maybe you could define you would you would say a habitual criminal, someone who repeats and repeats and repeats. So we're we're strictly talking an actual habit, not a one-time brush with the law, as it were. Definitely something that's repeatable uh, and just kind of more of who Mm -hmm. somebody is or what somebody does repetitively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think think we may be referencing our children in this episode. I would would gather that's a good analogy for anything we're about to discuss. uh, So how does this tie in with uh, what we talked about last week with Mars and colonizing Mars? So, yeah, good point. Um, So when there's... We discussed how we can get people to Mars, and that seems to be a distinct possibility, probability Mm -hmm. even. And there's a plan to get people there by 2027. 2027 is is the timeline. Wow. Crew 1, 2027. Oh, goodness, that's... If their timeline like is right hap- around the corner, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. 12, 12 years, 12 years away, yeah. Mm-hmm. By the time people hear this, it'll be oh, 11 years 11 away. 11 years away, that's true. <laughs> it'll be 2016. Crisis. Where do we currently find this problem of not being able to reform people who potentially have this uh, habitual problem of uh, not conforming to societal norms or not, not obeying the law, mm-hmm. I guess, would be. Just as accurate. Well, we have this all over the place, I think. I mean, people not obeying laws happens all over. That's true. Jimmy's probably not obeying some laws in China. He right? probably doesn't know their laws. That's part of the problem. <laughs> I bet he did. I bet he studied some laws. and People talk, you know. He probably got a one sheet that said, things that you normally do in America that are not legal in China. Yeah, yeah. Here they are. Yeah, so let, let's, let's wrap it back into colonizing Mars. Like, you're going to send 15 people to Mars. Yep. Okay, those, that's a good number, yeah. Those 15 mm-hmm. people... I mean, we don't know what the number is. Let's be clear there. But like, we're, yeah. we're sending more than one person to Mars. At some point, there there will be that many people there. Sure, I'm sure they're they're planning because they're already planning two crews. Mm-hmm. I didn't do enough research to know how big the crews are going to be. I, either way, fifteen is like, a good working say number. Say six and six. Sure, seven, or seven, and seven. seven. It doesn't matter. Like, it's a good working number. Yeah, seven that, and a half. In that size group. <laughs> And a half. Well, you know. Uh, so there's 15 people living on Mars. A- right. And invariably, especially since they're probably from other nations, invariably mm-hmm. some biases or some offense will be, you know, sustained yeah. upon somebody. And here's a key point. We've established that getting there is possible. Getting back is less possible. Right. So you're truthfully stuck with these people. For stuck. the foreseeable future. Right. Like just like Jimmy is stuck in China for the foreseeable future. So say somebody say somebody gets there who is just just a total klepto and somehow somehow slips through all the cracks, passes all the exams, and no one realizes it until mm-hmm. they're there. And then they just steal stuff habitually. I mean, it wouldn't be hard to track it back down. There's not a lot of square footage to, exactly. yeah, to, yeah. to hide stuff. However... But what do you do? You can't like, oh, you're done. Listen here, jerk. You stole my headphones. You're Go going back, back to Earth. Yep. Yeah, there's no going back to Earth. So so how do how you do you handle those things? deal then? with it. How do you deal with it? How like, do you do deal with it? I mean, the, the typical thought process is, well, fine, we will detain this person. Yeah. Prevent them from enjoying their freedom. To the brig. To the brig. However, would there even be a brig... 
in this uh, yeah. this this resources are limited. Space is at a premium. Space is at a premium. Are you gonna confine them to their quarters? I mean, just losing an entire person's productivity could in be that, detrimental to the mission in general. Yeah, in that environment. So, would you want to do that, or would you just you know, suffer through it essentially mm-hmm. until you know the next crew arrives and then beat the crap out of them? Yeah, I capital mean, like, punishment. Corporal, uh, capital, no. Corporal punishment, corporal requires, punishment? Uh, requires you to salute them. So, mm-hmm. uh huh. Corporal punishment. Doctor? Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, though, what? how do you handle that in such a small environment? Like, you would like to think that the whole point of going to Mars would be that you select the best of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. However, you are in a small environment where people do argue. Like, I mean, you yeah. can envision this being a movie plot. There's no... Absolutely. You know, yeah. there, there's no shortage on imagination of this actually occurring. So mm-hmm. so what do you do then at that point? What do you do? Yeah, let's uh, let's dive in. Yeah, how do you how do you correct that? I don't know. Well, I mean, like, how do we currently try to reform people? Like, we, we call... You put them in jail. Hey, we put them in jail, and then what do we do with them? At least in America... You put your son in jail? Well, you know, I do. I put him in timeout. That's... Okay. He loses his personal freedom for two minutes at a time, because he's two and a half. So the point is that he will not do it again, right? Well, the point it, the point is to negatively incentivize him to not do that again, because if he does it again, he knows he's going in timeout. He mm-hmm. loses freedom for some given amount of time. So you're using... B.F. Skinner's uh, principles of operant conditioning. Ah, conditioning. Yes. That, 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 I think that was what I was leaning towards, was uh, the negative and positive conditioning. Yes. Pavlov, yeah. as it were. Uh, distinct, subtle distinction between Pavlov and Skinner. Interesting. Yeah. No, do tell. Okay. So we're all familiar with Pavlov's dogs. I, not Pavlov's cats. Cats did not. Schrodinger work. has the cats. And Pavlov has. Does the Schrodinger dogs. have the cat? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you should mention that. Uh, anyway, just leave that one out. Hanging we'll, out we'll there. We'll just leave that one out there. Conditioning, as it were. Okay, so Pavlov's. I'm sure. Well, we're all familiar with this. We're a very well-read and learned crowd here. If you don't know Pavlov's dogs, a brief explanation would be: he rang a bell and then gave the dogs food. And eventually they learned that when the bell rang, they were going to get food. So when he rang the bell but didn't present any food, their mouths still watered and they expected food. That's a classical conditioning. The bell becomes a conditioned stimulus. The conditioned stimulus elicits a response from their dogs. Indeed. Despite getting food or not. A non-controlled. Yes. Right? Like that was the idea. Yeah. This this became a a completely passive habit of the dog to, Mm -hmm. to salivate. Upon hearing a bell. Right. Uh, similar, another example might be that when a nurse says, and she's holding a needle in her hand, this won't hurt a bit, and you go, oh, it's going to hurt. Because you have previous uh, experience that right. every time you've gotten poked with the needle, it has hurted, hurted, hurt to some degree. Therefore, you are conditioned to yeah. know that that means pain, even if they say it's not. Yeah. The phrase, this won't hurt a bit, has become a conditioned, a conditioned stimulus. To this is going to hurt quite yeah. a bit. And so. You think, oh, this is going to hurt quite a bit. So that that's classical conditioning. What is operant conditioning? Operant conditioning is is more internal. Okay. So it has to do with consequences and punishments and reward systems. Okay. So there's there's four kind of ways that that uh, operant conditioning breaks down. So uh-huh. positive punishments, negative punishments, positive reinforcement, and negative reinforcement. So when you're putting your son in timeout, yeah, or we send people to jail, that's a well, that, that one kind of spans. That may not be a good example. Maybe we should choose something like 
uh, an ice cream treat. Okay. Something that I would definitely bend over backward and change a lot of behaviors to get. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. Say I'm doing this to myself just to be, just to keep it. Keep it internal. Keep it internal. Sure. There's a behavior that I want to, I want to do. I want to study for the Incorrigibles podcast and I want to get the entire outline done before Saturday night. And if I do that, then I will make myself a Sunday. On Sunday. Possibly. If I don't, then I will, I will forego my self-reward. That would be a positive reinforcement. Okay. That makes enough sense. <clears throat> so that's, uh, but Skinner's, that's Skinner's idea. BF Skinner we kind of came up with this idea and used it with uh, addiction patients. Interesting. Just to, as a way to change their behavior. Okay. This, all this falls under the category of behaviorism. Okay. A lot of people think that behaviorism is bunk. Interesting. Because it doesn't, it just changes your behavior. It doesn't obliterate behavior. It doesn't say, it. it doesn't, it doesn't change that you want to. Yes, correct. I mean, you can, so you it's may just be more able to. a form to, of controlling than it is changing. Yeah, you, you can define it that way. It's not real change. Right. That kind of forces the, the logic that <clears throat> no matter what I do with my son and the ornaments on the tree, he's always going to want to touch them. It's just a matter of controlling that urge to touch them or not. Right. At the core, he is still one who wants to touch ornaments. As long as he's a child, that's true. Sure. Well, he uh, might have other distractions. He might grow out of it, is what I think we would normally say. Lawrence Kohlberg, mm-hmm. another psychologist, put forth a theory of ethical development, moral development. Uh-huh. And he has he he cites three different periods of transition. Okay. Or of, of moral development. Sure. So the first one would be what's applicable applicable to our kids right now. Sure. Which is I'm only doing this because I get ice cream or right. I don't want to time out. Right. The next is uh happens more towards adolescence. Uh-huh. Some people never get there. Some people just stay in this. Sure. I'm only doing this because I'm going to go to jail if I don't. Right. Or I, I will go to jail if I do. Right. Type of thing. And I think we see a lot of adults in that, in that phase be repeat offenders. Yeah. They, they want to change only because they're going to get punished if they don't. Right, exactly. And that's hard. That's not a real great motivation that's that's an external not, it's, it's locus of control. You need to have a you need to want to change. Well, yeah, because that all everything you just listed is predicated on getting caught. Yeah. If you never get caught, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Exactly, the incentive right. doesn't exist. Yeah. Or the disincentive doesn't exist. Yeah. In adolescence, most people get to a point where they align their moral decisions with mm-hmm. the with their peers. Sure. Or with the group that they associate with, identify with. So that's also, that's still, we're still talking about an external locus of control. Yeah. You're still aligning your moral and ethic decisions based on what other people do, what other people expect. Right. Which is what we would be doing mm-hmm. on, on our hypothetical Mars with our hypothetical thief. Right. So, but say they're, say that person isn't, never gets to that level. Yeah. And they're just, they're still operating on, I don't want to be punished, but there's no one here to really punish me. Right. Because we're all kind of, it's kind of anarchy here and we're all just kind of governing yeah. ourselves. Like who's going to enforce yeah. anything. Right. Like there's, there's no potential. Who dad made you the boss. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure there will be a boss of oh, some sort. Oh yes. <laughs> there would have to be in order for any progress to be made. I'm sure. Really? That's a different impossibility. <laughs> the third phase mm-hmm. is Nirvana. 
So does anybody ever really reach that? That smells a lot like teen spirit. But uh, <laughs> true. Uh, I mean, it's certainly yeah, apparently a lot of people do. It's sort of expected that they the the most uh, educated people will reach the the phase. Educated which, and well practiced, maybe. Yeah, these all have names which I wasn't I wasn't using, but it's uh, it's okay. We can we'll we'll put we'll post the actual like it's just, paper they're, or they're something easy. up. Uh, the first one's called pre conventional. The second one's conventional, and mm-hmm. the first one's post conventional. Sure. So it kind of gives that kind of gives credence to the 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 not workable. I mean, we can't really work with a, with a person who's pre conventional. Sure. A person who's conventional. Sure. Uh, we you sort of we expect most people to be here. Right. And then. Uh, some people will advance to the post-conventional so phrase, let, let, which is uh, making decisions based on the universal good. Sure. Kind of look, being able to look past norms and what's... Because when you're at the the conventional stage, mm-hmm. you say, well, everybody does this. Right. And that's not always the best. Well, everybody Motivator. goes, yeah. I drive 70, everybody drives 70. Well, if, if your friends all jump off a cliff, are you going to follow? Yeah. 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 I, I understand where the conventional, flaw is. you might. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you, you don't necessarily want to do th- things that mm-hmm. everybody else is doing because everybody else could be doing wrong as well. So how, what do you think? How do you, can we get, any, can you entice anybody past the conventional stage? What's, um, your, what's I, your theory? I think, well, like the problem, the problem with this is that really like the easiest motivator or the easiest motivator for anybody to connect, I believe, is like money. But money doesn't mean anything on Mars, and none of these people are expecting to come back ever. So what incentive would it be for you to obey the rules there for money? There really isn't any. Or for a lack of corporal punishment, because, like, really, ultimately, if if your fear was they were going to kill you, you're going to die anyway. Potentially, (laughs) you might die earlier than you would have anyway anyway. So there's not a lot of motivators on Mars for you to not do something you truthfully want to do or you truthfully think is right. Mm-hmm. Unless your motivation, unless all 15 of these, or, you know, the hypothetical 15 people, unless their motivation is to do something for the greater good, which we are saying mm-hmm. is the, the what, what did you say, post-confirmation? Con- post conventional. Conventional, yeah. sorry. Post, post-conventional mentality. Yeah. Um, these people would be doing something for the greater good. The greater good is for humanity on the whole. Yeah. Potentially Mars could be a, a place to actually colonize conventionally with with non-trained scientists anybody could go right but if you start out with this these 15 people who are all like in in this state of nirvana let's just call it that because it's easier (laughs) uh would this be a pathway to a more peaceful society if you never let anybody up there that couldn't be trained into this this post-conventional state of mind Mm, so that's the that's the easy way out let's just only let's vet people who vets them? Like that's that's the that's the problem with that though is who yeah. who analyzes okay. that? That's a thing. So like, but but if you see the potential for them to, like, you send somebody who's currently in a, it, the the last stages of their conventional stage two, and like, and you know they're going to get to stage three, mm-hmm. couldn't you either accelerate or encourage that process by sending them up there with the currently already fifteen post conventional people? So Kohler says Kohler Kohlberg 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 yeah. says that. Um, the way we get people to that highest level is education. Interesting. Yeah. So you think the path to nirvana is through education, or the path, at least the path to post-conventionalism, or post, uh, yeah, post-conventionalism. Well, if he's to be believed, then uh, probably a lot smarter than I am. I, well, I, who am I to refute that? That's not yeah. necessarily a bad a bad idea. Like, because I mean, logical people will think of will think of other people. I think mm-hmm. logic leads to thinking of other people and thinking of the greater good. And your position in creating the greater good 
And that, to me, is a, a huge motivation for, for technological advancement anyway. Yeah. Now, granted, we've got, you know, for lack of a better term, jackasses out there charging 900 bucks a pill for pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. that people actually need because he's interested in money. He doesn't care about progress or other people. But the fact is, is that pill needs to be used by people. There's no money yeah. without the people. So why wouldn't you just try to sell more of the drug? Because you could be incentive. You okay. could still make the money anyway. You're just going to make it on volume instead of off of individual pills. So that guy's just being a prick. Like but, that's okay. the only thing I can so think of. A, so there's an article in the, the let's see, was it the Times or the Wall Street Journal? I think uh-huh. talking about business schools. the The title is "Some B Schools Step Up Efforts to Tie Business Ethics to Business Programs." Interesting. So in the business programs at say, I think Colorado. Some university in Colorado sounds like a very Coloradoing, Coloradoing thing. But they're they're like spearheading this this current movement. But somebody needs to, mm-hmm. obviously. But there's a lot of schools involved. Boston College, I think, Good. and some others. That's fantastic. Harvard has Harvard already had an ethics yeah, division yeah, yeah. or something like that. Stanford probably does too. I'm sure because you know anything Harvard does, Stanford has to do. <laughs> you know who doesn't though? USC. Yeah. About that. Um, so the idea is it it was kind of reaction to the housing crash the market crash in 07 certainly and there was a lot of like bad loans out there apparently people knew that they were bad or something yeah I don't know so based on Kohlberg's research I think these schools started deciding you know we need to education really is the key let's let's start educating our our business students with ethics. It certainly improves the like attitude towards a particular behavior set mm-hmm. because you start to think and analyze your situation more with better education. I think anybody would agree that that's better educated people have better analyzation skills yeah. of anything in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more so, you know, some introversion on uh, or introspection. I mean, on your actual drive and why you're deciding to do things and purpose and right. societal purpose and all that kind of thing. I, I definitely I'm not, I'm not disputing that education could be could be the key or certainly the pathway. I'm never going to be a proponent for less education. Yeah. Um, in any in any case in any context, so I, I certainly think that'll help. Um, Hopefully, if they do it, uh, the the writer for the Wall Street Journal kind of draws this conclusion. Like, mm-hmm. I think the example that she gave is if I'm out there in the business world and. I see a chance for me to make more money, but it's not quite ethical. I'm not going to stop and go, oh, Professor So-and-so will be very displeased. That's true. Stop. But if uh, if Kohlberg's right and you can you can train, you can educate somebody into the final stage, uh, yeah. then, I mean, why not? Well, Maybe they, you, you, won't, you won't invoke your professor. Hurt? What's it going to hurt to teach a business, a business ethics class? You might not get the everybody mm-hmm. to stop making dumb decisions, but you might get the most of them too. Yeah. And who's to say that even stopping one person from making a bad decision isn't mm-hmm. worth it. I think it's worth it. Yeah. The fact that the discussion and education in, you know, progressing people towards this post conventionalism, right. I and think, I think is a good thing. Who's to say that Bernie Madoff, if he had had this education, wouldn't have, you know, gone a different route. Well, yeah, and, uh, at the very least this provokes the thought that yeah. maybe there is an ethical way to com- to compete in the business market. There are cer- certainly several businesses out there in America, at least, and I'm, I'm certain in the world, but in America, just for our context, mm-hmm. there are certainly businesses out there that perfect, that operate under good ethical boundaries where they don't, they don't make bad loans. They yeah. don't, they don't promote things that they that fly in the face of their business purpose, stuff like that. I think, 
I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I think that the ethical business program or biz, ethical, ethical business class is a good thing. So what about when people are already, uh, when people are, have made poor choices mm-hmm. and they've put themselves in a position where here on earth we would have put them in jail? Right. Is there any way to reform that person? Well, I mean, there are certainly there are institutions and penitentiaries that have good programs where they are able to reform, you know, criminals and reintroduce them into the public and they don't circle back into crime. That's not the norm, but there are some that exist. Yeah. Um, I've certainly seen it in studies and contexts of, uh, you know, just more, the morality of the United States. But and the, the disservice that overall the corrections department departments do like the the disservice that they they are doing to uh to inmates um that certainly is the norm is the disservice but uh i i don't i don't know if it is actually possible to completely reform somebody um but i certainly think you can better equip them to analyze their situation better mm-hmm. and that that's 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 kind of what leads me to agree with education leading to post conventionalism is that it yeah like i obviously it's working on some level because there are programs that are working that aren't getting repeat offenders. Yeah. Uh, why we don't do that more widespread is, I think, a completely different political discussion. However, what do you do on Mars, though, when you only have 15 people? Like, yeah. How do you reform the one person? Well, I can tell you the American model won't work. Obviously. Uh, so I, I noticed something in, in researching this topic. Americans couldn't care less about right. reforming people. Just get them away from me. Right. Kind of thing. Not in my backyard. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's completely... Accurate. I there think. seem to be some other programs worldwide. Now, there's an article here in the Times, New York Times, about Norway's prisons. I will post that. Mm-hmm. Their recidivism rate is a th- like a third of ours. So they're at 20% recidivism. We're at 66 or, you know. 66.67. That's that's actually really close to two-thirds. So we're at two-thirds. They're at one-fifth. Good. Marked not, difference. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we should put a Norwegian in charge of <laughs> disciplinary action on Mars. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> but their their approach is more uh, integrated into society. You know, we're not going to completely seclude criminals. We're going to try to reintegrate them in, into society. Cause correct, really, correct them where they're at as yeah. opposed to isolation. You could define, you could define behavior like stealing mm-hmm. or... Uh, you know, violence as antisocial. Certainly. So they have, they seem to have a more social, they have a more socialistic approach to everything, but sure. they're, it seems to really work in the case of, uh, you know, punishments. Yeah. That's, I think that's fair. So, I mean, what, what, what do you think it would take in, in the, I mean, in our, again, alleged Martian criminal mm-hmm. or American, uh, what would you call it? Earth, Earth citizen criminal on Mars. Well, they, what would it take to correct them? Yeah, the astronauts that I saw in the TED Talks of... Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't throw out his name, but maybe we'll, we can post it. Yeah. Joseph Roach. Joseph Roach. Rocha. R-O-C-H-E. But anyway, what, so was what really was he saying? Well, how would they overcome the obstacles of oh, he didn't say anything correcting people? Yeah, he didn't say. Oh, I'd, imagine, I'd imagine they're not thinking. The first mission and second mission probably, too, aren't even thinking about this because they're just going to get the most highly motivated, highly, highly educated and developed. Well, if you think about it, there is an incentive. Scientists. There is an incentive for people to succeed while they're there mm-hmm. is that they're, they aren't coming back. Yeah. Like, this isn't like a, a willful, like, 
you know, throw it all to the wind. I'm just going to go to Mars. Like there's a purpose for them going and it, it, risking their lives, truthfully risking their lives to go there. Um, so I, I suppose that's the motivation to not screw things up is to like actually make some progress. So I agree. I, I don't think any of them are thinking about it. This is certainly something we're just thinking about. Like this, this is the natural progression of humanity mm-hmm. is that there, there's going to be a seedy person eventually. Yeah. Bad that, apple. Yeah. That does something stupid or becomes motivated to do something stupid for whatever reason and screws something up. And uh, I mean, but like, are there, are there the, really bad people? Uh, that's, that's, that's a different impossibility. It, I think it applies somewhat. I, yes, I do. I do think that there really are bad people. So then there are good people. Is everybody good or is everybody bad? And we just learn how to, how to I think coexist. Everybody's bad and they learn how to adapt in oh. particular ways. All right. That's, that's certainly what Kohlberg's asserting. He's asserting that all, all of this is a learned process and everybody starts out as pre-conventional. Uh, but that's not bad. That's just inward focus. Maybe. It's just, I, I, you, it's you just have development. To, in order to like call anybody bad, you'd have to define morality. And that's, that's again, a different discussion. Okay. I can I, see, I, think. I can see the point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean like, it, and it's hard to not tie it to religion or politics or, uh, or even societal norms. Like mm-hmm. uh, any of those things I think apply to, to, I don't know, add up to equaling some version of morality and you could call that good or bad. It's all about perspective, I suppose. Yeah. Again, a different impossibility. We can talk about it in another, another episode if we choose to. I'm sure people will tie the two together. Um, Maybe this is a good a good opportunity to circle back to where I first started thinking about this issue certainly. as an impossibility. So I read a book and watched a movie. I think I watched the movie first and then I liked it, so I read the book. But it was uh, the movie was made in 1937. Mm-hmm. It was quite old. What's it called? It's called Lost Horizon. I may be getting the date wrong. Maybe the book was 1937. Yeah. And the movie was shortly. It was shortly thereafter because it was a uh, the movie's quite old too. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the author James Hilton, uh, has an English Englishman uh, pilot in the war. Mm-hmm. They crash land near in Tibet, in the mountains. Yeah, and uh, the monk finds them. I think they, he's a llama, uh-huh. of some sort, a, a man, a person, but a llama, you know, a holy man. Indeed. <clears throat> so he takes them back to their their planes completely destroyed. So he just takes them back to the their settlement called Shangri-La. Oh yes. Which is where the the phrase comes from is referring to Shangri-La as like a a paradise. Yeah. Like Avalon, heaven, mm-hmm. Nirvana, Valhalla. Take your pick. <laughs> anyway, it's a perfect little society. Yeah. It's uh secluded and similar to Mars. Uh-huh. What a Mars mission would be. They're they have a purpose. They're focused on a single goal. Yeah. So everybody in the society is focused on preserving. So their their thing is society's becoming so violent they're going to destroy the world with war. Right. Because this is just after World War One, right before World War Two. Indeed. And people are pretty pessimistic about the fate of Earth. Yeah. Understandable. And so he, the author, creates this little oasis where there's harmony, a peaceful society. Everybody's working together. And there's several hundred people here mm-hmm. allegedly. Yeah. Uh, so the English, it's the pilot and a few other people. It's been uh-huh. a while since I actually read it. But uh, the pilot, his name is Conway. Okay. Uh, last name Conway. He has all these discussions with the llama that brings them there. 
uh-huh. and he's just asking all these questions about their society, what their wait I uh, I skipped something. So their purpose is to preserve wisdom. Sure. The yeah. the wisdom of the world, the ancient, you know, from Roman, you know, as far back as we have. Yeah. Just a library basically, and the wisdom of what we've learned as a, a human society up for all time, basically. Uh-huh. So that's not a very active purpose, but yeah. they're just kinda hanging out. We need to preserve us for the the betterment of the world once you know, the world's destroyed, worst case scenario, and yeah. then we need to rebuild. Yeah. We'll start with us and yeah. start from a good place again. Right. Yeah. They just have a peaceful society. They, there's no, you know, it's every, everybody's healthy. There's no doctors. There's no mm-hmm. kind of infrastructure that we associate with society. Sure. They just, they all kind of work together. Mm-hmm. So Conway asked him, what about incorrigibles? Yeah. Which is kind of where this, the phrasing for this, this episode came from. Uh-huh. He goes, what do you do about incorrigibles? The people that, you know, the habitual criminal, mm-hmm. the people you can't change. They can't, they won't be reformed. And the, the Lama says, we don't have that we just every there's enough of everything for everybody here hmm. that nobody there's, there's no, drive there's to no need to yeah yeah no drive to steal mm-hmm. no drive to lie yeah Interesting. No, no reason to be violent well, i certainly think that would be the case that's the case of of our you know martian colonization initially yeah. so i mean certainly this this problem won't present itself for quite some time if it ever does mm-hmm. um and i mean like certainly ever i'm sure every possible uh, analysis will be made to who they send up and why. Yeah, there'll be a specific purpose for everybody that's there. Yeah, but isn't there? I don't, there's always. I mean, I think his his view is very. It sounds enlightened at first, but then you yeah. think about it, and you're like, there's always disagreements. There's about, always one about, about something. I mean, right. two people just won't like each other for yeah, whatever reason, for no particular reason. Yeah, whether it be you know uh, origin, you know country mm-hmm. of origin or anything like yeah, that, it could sure. be anything. But yeah. I mean, for for the time being, it's definitely an interesting topic as to like, is it possible to actually correct? I, I would say no, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's possible to suppress, but not possible to correct. That's what I would say. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's going to be a real interesting situation if a bad apple does get up there. Yeah, and it would certainly be a weird to watch from here. Seven months in delay, or three months in delay for communication. Yeah. Whatever, whatever timing it takes yeah. to get stuff to and from. So we are we going to say that this is. That incorrigibles exist and not possible to reform? Uh, I it's, It is of my opinion that it is not possible to reform. It is possible to suppress. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say, in some cases, it'll be possible to educate people to a moral standard mm-hmm. that'll, uh, that will entice them to make uh, decisions that are good for everybody. Certainly. But I certainly wouldn't dismiss the idea that there are psychopaths out there who just can't sure just have it some sort of disorder in the brain that's never going away yeah um but i mean should we give up hope on those people i don't know that well i think that's another discussion maybe not an impossibility discussion but certainly another discussion yeah so well we'd love to hear all your thoughts about it please i mean tell us this is definitely a deep deep philosophical Uh and and hard concept in general, much less in the context we're talking about. But mm-hmm. I feel like we just raised more questions. Pro- than probably we answered. I mean, it's certainly, certainly an exhaustive topic. But we started with, can you change people? And we ended up with, what's a bad person? <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> Any other number of. <laughs> oh man, goodness! I hope nobody listens to this. No, I'm kidding. I, I hope tons of people listen to this. 
So what are we talking about next week, Jesse? Uh, next week, I think we ought to have some fun. Do you agree? I, I think next week is going to be a fun. It's certainly going to be a fun topic. I just, it's hairy, man. It's a hairy topic. <laughs> it scares you, the crap out of half you're my gonna friends. You're going to speculate on the uh, physical appearance of extraterrestrials? Oh, E.T. <laughs> when, well, no, E.T. was very leathery, if I remember. He had a thin neck and a big head. Yeah, we generally always think of aliens as uh, some sort of reptilian. Yeah. I, I, I don't I know mean, why that is. Why is that? I don't know. Why do you think? I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll find out next week. I, I haven't looked into this at all. Oh, well, then it'll be an interesting <laughs> interesting episode. Uh, as always, we have the website, Twitter, Facebook, all those things. It's aliens. Oh, we're talking about aliens. aliens. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts about that, too. Hit us up. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. We're recording this at five months, so it's going to be too late. Whatever. Thanks for joining us today. Visit impossiblethingspodcast.com to interact with the guys on Twitter, Facebook, and email. Questions, topic suggestions, corrections, and rants are always welcome. Also, find more episodes and see sources referenced in today's discussion. ImpossibleThingsPodcast.com for all things impossible. Impossible.